Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. We've got two games to talk about. Wednesday night, it's the Toronto Blue Jays 1, the Cleveland Guardians nothing. And then Thursday afternoon, it's the Cleveland Guardians 4, the Toronto Blue Jays 3. We split the series with the Blue Jays, but uh, yeah, some weird, weird low-scoring games there to talk about. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field, the thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. I appreciate you understanding me taking a day off, kind of letting the voice heal a little bit. Uh, the head cold is not completely gone, but I, I can talk a little bit better than I could a few days ago. So let's get into this. I, frankly, we're not going to spend too long on Wednesday night's game because, I mean, it was such a what a gar what a garbage game, one nothing. Like I can't believe there were two one nothing games in a row in this series. Like it's just. That's absolutely ridiculous. Um, George Springer with a with a first inning home run, and that holds up. That's the whole game. That's absolutely ridiculous for Major League Baseball, right? They should be able to score a few more runs than that. Uh, so uh, let's get into it. I mean, on the pitching side of things, our pitching staff does fantastic. Uh, Logan Allen looks great, goes five innings. All right, doesn't go too deep into the game. Uh, four hits, one earned run, three walks, three strikeouts, one home run allowed on 87 pitches. He's only hard hit six times. Uh, there would be another jam. Uh, he would get himself in and out of a little bit of trouble here, uh, despite the solo home run in the first. Uh, back-to-back walks in the second inning, but back-to-back flyouts get him out of the inning. Uh, and then in the fifth inning, uh, gives up back-to-back singles, but a ground into double play gets him out of the fifth. Uh, grounding into double plays would get him out of the fifth and eighth inning jams. Uh, it looked like they were going to have something rolling there in the eighth inning. They load the bases uh, right against Sam Hentges, being very aggressive against Sam Hentges, but a fly out, a shallow fly out to Danny Jansen, and then Schneider grounds into a double play. Uh, so two, two jams there and, uh, the infield defense comes up big for this guardians pitching staff. Uh, I was shocked to see Sam Hedges actually pitch back to back like that evening and then come back, uh, in the day game and pitch again. Uh, the plan obviously wasn't to have him pitch. If De Los Santos doesn't get blown up in the seventh inning and Stefan have to rescue him. You probably wouldn't have seen Sam Hedges in there. It helps that he only threw 13 pitches, even though he faced five batters there in the uh, eighth inning. But, I mean, Eli Morgan gives you two innings, a one-hit baseball, no runs, four strikeouts. Uh, he, I mean, that was a nice bounce-back performance from him. Remember, at one point in the season, Eli Morgan was considered a weapon out of the bullpen, right? And there was a time when uh, the little bulldog there Comes into a middle of a game and uh, gets the job done. Uh, he, it hasn't all been smooth for him this season, but it's nice to see him uh, be a you know a weapon we could deploy in the middle of the game again. Uh, and then Michael Kelly shut him down in the ninth. He gave, they gave you a chance. They gave you a chance. That got, the Guardians had never really felt like they had a great rally going. Right, it, there were a couple two out hits. I mean. Honestly, your best chance to score was Stephen Kwan leading off with a double in the first inning, and they just they can't do anything with it. Uh, Jimenez strikes out. Jose Ramirez 
a ridiculous diving catch out in left field. I believe, was it Merrifield out there in left who made this diving catch? Jose Ramirez has a chance to score him, but uh, this diving catch robs him of a hit, and you want to know how bad he was robbed of a hit. This line drive, 96.5 mile per hour line drive in the left field, had an expected batting average of 950. 95% of the time, this thing is a hit. And uh, yes, it was Merrifield out there in left field. 95% of the time, this is a hit. But that is why they play the game, right? Uh, so that sucked. I mean, Quan was lucky that he didn't get doubled off there, but Oscar Gonzalez strikes out to uh, end the threat. Uh, so yeah, uh, I mean, there are not many other opportunities here. Fourth inning, Cal Cal- Cole Calhoun with a two-out single, but then gets caught stealing okay uh sure Cole Calhoun uh not really what we brought you here for I get he was trying to do the Josh Naylor catch him napping stolen base move and it actually looks like he gets a decent jump uh but just gets gunned out at second base and uh it's just it's not what we brought you here for like you know he's He's never even had double-digit stolen bases in any season in his career. The most stolen bases he's had in a season is six. So it's not like this is something he used to do. Uh, so not impressed there. Uh, let's see, where else here? Uh, they really shut him down. Uh, Gonzalez with a double in the seventh, but then gets picked off second base. Uh, gets caught, na- Literally gets caught napping. I mean... They asked Francona about that after the game, but what is he supposed to say? Like, what do you, the guy clearly got caught nabby, got caught looking the wrong direction, got caught off second base, and they run a pickoff play behind him. Like, you, you can't do that. You, you can't do that. It's, we need you in a one-run game. We need you out there. Um, I mean, it wouldn't matter. Ramon Laureano. So we told you he hits left-handed pitching pretty well, and he faces lefties at the beginning of this series. We face it to righties at the end of the series, and he doesn't have a hit for the last two games. So if the point is to platoon him, then why aren't we platooning him? I get you wanted to give Quan a day off. Okay, sure. Quan deserves a day off every now and then. But why aren't we platooning Ramon Laureano against these right against right-handed pitching? I thought we all agreed Ramon Laureano was here to mash left-handed pitching. So what are we doing? And then, uh, yeah, uh, Andres Jimenez does single in the ninth. And you think, okay, Jose Ramirez, here we go. We, we got a chance. Ramirez up in the ninth inning with a runner on base. Like, this is the situation. And then he chases a slider in the dirt to strike out to end the at-bat. Of course, he starts down 0-2 and tries to work his way back into the count. Works it back to a 2-2 count but then chases a really, really bad slider in the dirt. And I'm like, what are we doing here? Especially because he took a first-pitch fastball for a called strike to start the at-bat. Uh, that was the pitch to hit. I mean, you, but we said, he didn't throw, Mesa didn't throw another pitch in the strike zone to Ramirez. The rest of that at-bat. He went out of the strike zone to foul off a bunch of sliders. In fact, every slider he threw him, he swung at. I, I, God, I don't know what Ramirez is doing in this at-bat here. So, uh, and then he gets uh, Gonzalez to pop out. Uh, you know, it's an inside pitch. I like Gonzalez swinging at inside pitches. I have no problem with him swinging at an inside 
two-seamer here. Uh, but he pops it out, uh, pops out to uh, end the game. So uh, we even get a man on in the ninth and can't get anything done. So uh, no MVP on the day for this one. I mean, like, come on. It's it's a really, really bad game. Uh, he does go to his bench and try to bring some pinch hitters in to try to spark something. Bo Naylor actually gets uh, like an infield single, uh, but it doesn't turn into anything in the eighth inning. So I'm just impressed that he actually went to the bench and actually, you know, let a pinch hitter come into this game. And we'll see on this Thursday game, he actually goes to the bench for a defensive replacement. Ooh, wow. I hate, Terry Francona can learn, I guess. Uh, so let's jump into Thursday's game because it's the much more entertaining game to talk about. Four to three Guardians win. And they do it in the weirdest way possible. They actually had more hits in this shutout loss on Wednesday night. They had six hits to five hits in this Thursday day game win where they score four runs. It's weird. We, in the, the hits come from three players. And Andres Jimenez's double has nothing to do with the game. Now, some walks definitely help. Some walks to Loriano and Bo Naylor allow them to score runs. So getting on base helps via the walk. But, uh, yeah, it basically comes down to Brian Rocchio hitting leadoff and Jose Tena hitting ninth. That's your offense right there. Uh, They come together for two rallies in the second inning and the fifth inning. And the pitching in the bullpen make it hold up. Again, you you probably shouldn't be able to win a game like this where your three, four, five, six, seven, and eight hitters all go hitless. But somehow they figure out how to make it work. So in the second inning, uh, a fun rally here. Uh, Loriano with that leadoff walk. Brennan strikes out. Bo Naylor walks. And then Jose Tana comes up with two outs. Miles Straw had flew out. So with two outs, Tana comes up and he shoots a single back up the middle. His first major league hit, his first major league start, his first major league hit, his first major league RBI. So big smiles all around. For Jose Tena. Uh, and then Rocchio follows that up with a double into the right center field gap that allows Bo Naylor to come in to score before Andres Jimenez eventually grounds out to end the threat. So there you go. The two young shortstops coming through in that second inning. Then we jump to the fifth. It's Tena leading off. And he starts things with a double. Nice. Nice job here. Uh, and then Rocchio follows it up with a double into the right field corner that brings him in to score. After Jimenez flies out, Cole Calhoun, uh, they intentionally walk Jose Ramirez. I believe at some point, Rocchio and Ramirez both move up a base in this one. Uh, And then uh, Cole Calhoun is able to get done with a ground out to the right side. So it ain't pretty, but it gets the job done. It brings Rocchio in score, and we needed that run. That's a big run that they're able to, uh, you know, stay out of any kind of double play. That Rocchio is able to get in, like, that Cole Calhoun literally gets the job done there with a ground out because uh, that run would be the winning run. We would need it. So um, a great job there uh, finishing that finishing that rally off and, and getting it done. Uh, Ramirez did have a stolen base in this situation. I think Rocchio moved up. Oh, it looks like Rocchio tagged up on Jimenez's fly ball, and that's how he moved to third. Okay, there we go. And that that's the offense. There you go. That's the whole offense. Jimenez would double late in the seventh inning with two outs. Uh, They would intentionally walk Ramirez again, and then Cole Calhoun would hit into a force out this time. 
and uh, nothing in the eighth inning. Uh, so that's your entire offensive day. So uh, huge to say, Tanya, with those two hits. I mean, we're in a situation now. I know Tanya probably wouldn't be here if Tyler Freeman was healthy. But we're in a situation where realistically next year, competing for shortstop, you've got four guys that have all pretty much reached the major league level. I say, again, I say Tanya probably wouldn't be here if Freeman wasn't hurt. But you're going to have Rokio, Arias, Freeman, and Tanya all have legitimate, legitimate chance to battle for that shortstop position. And that's kind of the problem that everyone's been talking about for the last two, three years. Like, we've been looking at the timeline and going, how do you make this work? Like, who's the shortstop of the future? Which prospect are you leaning towards front office? It seems like uh, Gabriel Arias gets a lot of the playing time there. It seems like Brian Rocchio right now, based on play, doesn't seem like Rocchio's the guy. Like, Arias is struggling at the plate, despite a few hard-hit balls every now and then. Arias is really flailing at the plate, where Rokio seems like seems like he's got something there. He's got a little more than Arias does. A better eye, right? Better contact at the plate than Arias does. And Rokio plays... I mean, they both play elite, elite defense, right? But, man, Rokio really makes it look smooth. So, I got to say, right now, Brian Rokio is my guy. That's the guy I'm locking in on for a starting shortstop next year. Gabriel Arias might still be able to carve out a position as a super utility guy that can play three different positions on the infield plus maybe right and left field. Like that's that's a huge that's huge for him. That could keep Gabriel Arias in the majors for a long time. But if he can't figure it out at the plate and figure out how to make more consistent contact and not look, I mean lost in some at bats. He's not going to stick around. And Rokio and Tanya and Freeman are going to pass him by real quickly. Real quickly. So I know there's people that are in Gabriel Arias' corner. I know this is the next Great Guardians fan war, right? This is the next Great Guardians Twitter war. Is uh, who's going to play be the next starting shortstop? Who's the shortstop of the future amongst all these prospects? There's probably someone out there banging the drum for Angel Martinez. And for Frias and for Brito, like, it doesn't stop. This conversation doesn't stop. That's seven names now I've given you for shortstop of the future. So, whew, they got their work cut out to figure this thing out. Or, you know, you could package some of these guys in a trade for a power-hitting corner outfield bat. I don't know. Maybe something that every Guardians podcaster has been shouting for the last three years. So, uh, yeah, it's nice to see Rokio and Tana come up with the big hits in this one and then we've got Noah Syndergaard and this bullpen absolutely going to work uh I know De Los Santos gets blown up but give Noah Syndergaard some credit here goes five and two-thirds innings pitch does seem to run out of steam there uh in the sixth inning he almost escapes the sixth inning uh but unfortunately uh gives up a walk to Schneider uh before they finally go to the bullpen and uh, they turn things over to Nick Sandlin, who gets a ground out from uh, Luke's to uh, to get out of this thing. So, uh, man, yeah, it really felt like he was going to go six innings, which is huge. I mean, the innings we're getting from Noah Syndergaard right now are fantastic. Gives up six hits, only one earned run, 
two walks, uh, five strikeouts. So nice to see that he's getting the strikeouts back on 87 pitches. He is hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. So that's a trend that continues. Uh, it is steal bases off him like crazy. Um, so that's a trend that continues. Um, so overall, we got to say it's it's a pretty good performance. It's a pretty good pitching performance. Uh, he, looking at the illustrator here, he really just pounded the strike zone with six different pitches. I mean, this is the guy he is now. Hey, he's going to spin it this way, spin it that way. It's coming fast. It's coming slow. It's six. The four-seamer, the two-seamer, the slider, change, curve, and cutter all coming at you in the strike zone pretty much. Uh, so, yeah. So, CSW-wise, uh... I know I kind of skimped on Logan Allen's numbers here, but I didn't want to talk about that game too long. Uh, CSW-wise, it's a 25% whiff rate, which I'm actually okay with. Uh, most of those whiffs came via the four-seam fastball, too, uh, which I can't even say he was throwing that hard. Uh, he averaged 91.2. He was down a mile and a half off his season average. Uh, maxed out at 93. Uh, so he wasn't even throwing it that hard. Uh, but got seven whiffs, uh, adding 16 called strikes. It's a 32% CSW. That's that's pretty good. That's pretty darn good. That that fastball was pretty effective. Uh, David fouled it off 12 times. Only put seven in play uh, at an average exit velocity of 89.5. So uh, it's not it's not bad from Thor right there. And when you look at the numbers, uh, LA versus Cleveland, it has been significantly better. Since coming to Cleveland. In LA, he had a 716 ERA. In Cleveland, it's a 371. Uh, obviously, a huge difference here in innings pitched. Uh, but that's why I'm kind of looking at some of these other numbers here, these average numbers, like an ERA, like a batting average against. 313 batting average against in LA, 262 here in Cleveland. 145 whip in LA, a 124 whip here in Cleveland. That's because he has. He has walked some guys. Uh, uh, that's I think the walks might be hurting that whip just a little bit. Um, the uh, bat bip. Uh, well, a few more things. So uh, the MLB page, it's hard. I wish StatCast separated this stuff out. I wish I could do this on StatCast and tell you, oh, this pitch wasn't effective in LA, but it is being effective in Cleveland. Unfortunately, StatCast, I don't know how to separate that data out. But the MLB page will give me the different data, L.A. versus Cleveland. Uh, he's throwing a little bit more in the strike zone in Cleveland. He was throwing strikes at a 66% of the time. Now he's at 68% of the time, so a very slight difference there. Uh, throwing two less pitches per inning, so being a little more efficient. He was up just under 16, 15.98 pitches per inning. Now he's at 14 pitches per inning, so being slightly more efficient. Um the uh, bat bip is much lower in Cleveland, 326 in LA, 245 in Cleveland. The on-base percentage, the slugging percentage, and the OPS are all lower in Cleveland. The one thing I was surprised about is the strikeout-to-walk ratio was better in LA. He was at a 4.22 strikeout-to-walk ratio. Now he's at a 2 strikeout-to-walk ratio. And I remember, I believe in his first start, he didn't have any strikeouts. So that probably didn't help that number right there. So... That's some of the differences for Noah Syndergaard pitching in Cleveland, where he seems very comfortable, versus pitching uh, in uh, 
in LA. So, I mean, could he have a good relationship going here with this pitching staff, with this coaching staff? Like, could we actually see Noah Syndergaard say, get kind of the Jose Ramirez answer? Like, hey, I'm, I'm actually kind of comfortable pitching here in Cleveland. I kind of like being here. Could we actually see this relationship between Noah Syndergaard and Cleveland continue? I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility right now. All right, I can feel my voice slipping, and I want to get to this bullpen before we get out of here. De Los Santos gets absolutely blown up. It doesn't record an out, gives up three hits, two runs, almost blows the game. Uh, they go to Trevor Steffen to save him, and Steffen does. He comes in, doesn't let an inherited runner score. I mean, it's incredible. Now, he does get lucky here because he gives up a hit to Matt Chapman, but Tanya is able to keep it in the infield, is able to get to it and at least stop it, which stops Varsho at third, which stops Vladimir Guerrero at second, and it loads the bases, but then he gets Alejandro Kirk after a 10-pitch at-bat where he's just throwing him splitter, splitter, uh, forcing fastball back to the splitter, uh, just absolutely... Uh, attacking high, attacking low. It's a heck of a bat from Kirk and from Stefan. And finally on the 10th pitch, he pops out uh, to Andres Jimenez. Uh, oh, they actually called infield fly roll there. Interesting. Uh, but it was pretty deep into right field. Andres Jimenez backpedals and pulls this thing down on a 10-pitch at bat. So Stefan really has to work, but he doesn't give in. Doesn't give Kirk anything in the middle of the plate. Stays right at the knees with those splitters. Stays right at the top of the strike zone with those four-seam fastballs. Does not give in. And then Davis Schneider, he's able to strike him out in a six-pitch at-bat. Again, high fastballs, low sliders, and one splitter in there that he fouls off. Uh, He goes, he misses high with a four-seam fastball before finally getting him to go right at the top of the strike zone and chase a 93.8-mile-per-hour fastball. Uh, to strike out Schneider and get out of the jam. And we finally saw some emotion from Trevor Steffen, who we know has the ability to be a great setup man, like a great late reliever. And again, he's had his struggles this season as well. But he finally kind of breaks that stoic uh, Corey Kluber statue on the mound and finally shows some emotion after striking out David Schneider. You know, he was really pumped up. Not only does he not allow any inherited runners to score, uh, that would have been the tying run, right? He holds the lead. He holds the 4-3 to three lead. Just an absolute incredible moment there uh, from uh, from Trevor Steffen. Uh, I mean, when Chapman singles, so the win probability line, we, we talk about it occasionally. At one point, it was a 92% guarantee that the Guardians were going to win this game. Uh, when Luke's grounds into that force out uh, and gets out of the inning uh, at the bottom of the... What is that? Yeah, the bottom of the sixth inning there. Um, it was a 92% the Guardians were going to win. When uh, Chapman singles and loads the bases, it's up to a 51% win probability. Still in the Guardians' favor, but we're basically back to 50-50 at that point. It's a one-run game. They have the bases loaded with one out. Like, you're basically back to an even game here. And then by the time he strikes out Schneider, it's back to a 79% in the Guardians' favor to win this game. So, I mean, that is... The win probability line shows you how big that moment was. Like, that's the point of the win probability line. 
The fact that it moves that much in two plays shows you how big that moment was. Uh, and then Henches comes in and uh, actually looks pretty filthy. Um, he uh, he uh, gets Lukes to strike out, strikes out Kevin Biggio, and then gets Whit Merrifield to ground out. And then Kase comes in and shuts him down in the ninth. Strikes out Varsho, gets Guerrero to ground out, and then strikes out DeYoung uh, to end things. Um, I'm guessing... Well, Springer gets himself ejected from the game. That didn't help. He would have been the last batter of the game. Uh, Varsha went in as a pinch runner for Brandon Belt. So, you know, Toronto did take the bat out of their two and four hitters in this lineup and go to some bench guys who probably wouldn't be hitting two and four, and it costs them in the ninth inning, right? It costs them at the end of the game. Uh, so the only person we go to our bench is Gabriel Arias as a defensive replacement for Cole Calhoun, which... Is the correct move with the lead. That's what you want to do. Put in your best defense. Uh, so a huge job there from the bullpen. I'm sure Henches didn't expect to pitch, but uh, comes out and looks a lot better than he did on Wednesday night. Uh, but Stefan, that moment from Stefan, uh, that was huge. That was huge right there. So that is your four to three win. Uh, we do have some emails. Uh, Jeff with a G, Jeff in Columbus, said, Davey, gutsy win for the Guardians today. Little nervous that seventh inning, but Stefan came through, and then Henches and Classe shut the door. What a good way to end the series. Of course, would have loved a few more hits and runs, but I will simply be satisfied with the win and another Twins loss. They intentionally walked Jose twice. We need Naylor back for protection. Rokio and Tanya played well. Could we feel the team of only middle infielders? It feels like we're heading that way, doesn't it, Jeff, with a G? Uh, Thor pitched well enough, but it'll be great to get Bieber and McKenzie back. Fingers crossed. Uh, Rokio, he suggests Rokio Henches get co-MVP. Uh, let's head over to Marlon's email. Hang on. I'll come back to the MVP on the day. I'm not going to forget today. Marlon said, Hi, Davey. There isn't much to be said about that one nothing loss to Toronto that hasn't been said before. Allen pitched very well, but made only one mistake but has nothing to show for it. Hench is pitched on both ends of the spectrum of bad and good. He dug himself into a bases loaded hole with no one out, but got out of it unscathed. Eli Morgan has best outing in a while, recording four strikeouts in two innings. In the series finale, Thor pitched very well. He seems to be improving and seems to be coming to terms with the pitcher he is now instead of who he was in the past. This bodes well for both his future and the team, possibly making... A late change to win the division. A late charge to win the division. I, I mean, we're not out of this division, Marlon. I, you're not wrong, but I'm just I'm not looking at that right now. We need to focus on this team and just playing good baseball. And if something happens in the division, okay, we'll take it. Despite his pitch count not being too high, seemed to run out of gas in the sixth inning. Yes, he did. Hey, he did. Uh, but you know what? That's okay. He gave us as much as he had in the tank, which is kind of what we're asking for from him. Sandlin, however, got him out of the jam. De Los Santos, on the other hand, had a second consecutive poor outing. To be honest, Tito should have pulled him after his disaster, after his disastrous stint, which included surrendering three hits, a balk, and a wild pitch. Tito should have pulled him and given up before giving up the hit to Belt, who was his third batter. There's no way he should have remained to face Flat Jr. with him being as erratic as he was. Stefan looks like he might be back to his old reliable self. Toronto made him work extremely hard. Thirty pitches, yeah, part of that's due to Cur. Uh, Alejandro Kirk in that 10-pitch at bat. But he rose to the occasion, had a couple of big strikeouts, and was the unsung hero of the game. The bases were loaded with no one out, and Toronto couldn't K 
capitalized. This swung the momentum in Cleveland's favor for good. Shout out to Taney and Rokio combined for four of the five team's five hits. Hopefully they both earned co-MVP for the day. In the seventh inning, Taney also made a nice defensive play, keeping Chapman's ground ball in the infield to hold Varsho at third. Turns out this saved the game for Cleveland. The big smile on Tanya's face when he got the RBI single in the second inning was awesome and a memory he'll never forget. All right, so our emailers, Marlon and Jeff, have thrown out some uh, MVP candidates. I got to say, my gut instinct, the guy I'm going with, and you probably could tell from the way I was gushing about him, I got to go with Trevor Steffen for MVP on the day. When we're talking about most valuable player, uh, in fact... In fact, he's the win probability leader as far as who moved the win probability line the most. Uh, Trevor Steffen moved it 26.5% in Cleveland's favor. Rokio moved it 17.5% in Cleveland's favor. Classe moved it 15.8% in Cleveland's favor. So even the win probability shows you that Trevor Steffen was the most valuable player on the day. But just from an emotional standpoint... To get out of that jam. I know we had to score runs to even be in that situation. So I get why you're leaning towards Rokio and Tanya. But I got to say, to get out of that jam in the seventh inning, it just felt like the game. That felt like that was it. So Trevor Steffen is getting my MVP on the day. All right, that's all my thoughts on this one. I can't believe my voice held out this long. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow to talk about this opener uh, against the uh, Tampa Bay Rays, where we have to face our old friend Aaron Savali. Oh, God, the knife in the back. The fact that we have to go face him now down in Tampa. And Xavier Curry getting the start for us. Uh, I will be back tomorrow to talk that game. But then remember, I'm going to take another day off. Got to go to a wedding. And then uh, we'll do another doubleheader episode, either late Sunday night or uh, early Monday morning. So, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show, Mornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Spotify. If you go to the link in the show notes, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play it back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Baseball Morning.